صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. One of our favorite guests is joining us today, Professor Mark Muhammad Ayash. He's the author of Humanetics of Violence, UTP 2019, a policy analyst at Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. He was born and raised in Silwan in Al-Quds before immigrating to Canada, where he's now a professor of sociology at Mount Royal University. He's currently writing another book on settler colonial sovereignty. Good morning, Muhammad. How are you? Good morning, Nasser. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, it's so so cool to have you here, brother. Hanad, last week we saw Nakba, ongoing Nakba, as the Israeli occupation forces in all their ferocity entered Jenin again, killing 12 uh, Palestinians as young as 16, but only as old as 23. And I wrote an article where I spoke about how the world had failed the youth of Palestine. That 30 years ago, we saw the White House lawn handshake and everybody got a Nobel Peace Prize. And five years later, 25 years ago, Palestinians were supposed to get a state, quote unquote. And here we are 30 years ago where another two generations of Palestinians have grown up without hope. And yet again, 20 years after the invasion in 2002, here we are talking about Jinping being raided again. Yeah, and and let me begin to go back to the Oslo Accords and the the quote-unquote promise of a Palestinian state before I bring it on to Janine. Uh, Because as you rightly point out uh, in your question, um, and allude to in your question, the Israeli state was never serious and never intended, nor does it intend now, to see the creation of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state. Let me just be very clear about that. That was never on the table for Israel. Israel has never, in fact, said this out loud. There's no record of the Israeli state officially saying, we want the creation of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state. And I mean sovereign in the sense that it would enjoy the, the same kind of sovereignty that the Israeli state enjoys, where it has control over its borders, its resources. It can create an army. Uh, it has a, a, a full control over its taxation, you know, uh, has a foreign policy, etc., etc. That That has never been uttered by the lips of any Israeli politician or being has ever been offered to a Palestinian uh, in any kind of negotiations. And that's because they don't want that. I mean, that's as clear as it gets. When they don't say something for that many years, it's clear they don't want it. So they still don't want it now. This is not just a new thing where uh, the, the, the right-wing government, the most extreme right-wing government in Israel history is now no longer interested in a two-state solution. No, they've never actually wanted that. What they were okay with for a period of time was a um, somewhat self-governing uh, uh, Palestinian body 
that would enjoy no sovereignty and would exist for the purpose of serving Israeli interests. That's it. That's what they wanted. The right of return was never on the table. Jerusalem was never on the table. Sovereignty was never on the table. Well, what else is on the table? There's nothing left. You take those three. There's nothing. There's nothing to talk to them about. There's nothing that they're offering. When they go on about, oh, in the late 1990s, we offered them the greatest deal in history. Like no, nobody with with any sort of honesty in their in their bones would would accept that 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 propaganda line. They were not offered a great deal. Uh, they, they were just offered some semblance of self government without sovereignty. No right of return. Jerusalem is off the table. That the Palestinian Authority would officially, and the PLO would officially say, forget about the right of return. Forget about Jerusalem. They wanted them to officially say that. They wanted Arafat to say that officially. Like, that's insane. To their minds, that, that constituted some great deal that they were offering. But again, it's, it's, an, it's a non-starter. And the reason why they are not interested in an independent, sovereign Palestinian state is because they want the whole piece of territory. That's it. It's, it's as clear as daylight. The Zionist thinkers themselves prior to 1948, including David Ben-Gurion, had already admitted as much. They just said it's it's too dangerous for us to say this out loud uh, in the international community um, to say that we want the whole thing. So let's just get it in stages. I'm paraphrasing, but he actually, I believe, uses the, the terminology of stages. They've never gotten off that path. That's what we're still at today. They still believe that they are slowly acquiring and uh, the whole territory, and that they would create a, a exclusive Jewish uh, Israeli Jewish sovereignty over the entirety of the land from the river to the sea. Now they already in fact, you know, in practice, they already have that kind of sovereignty. I mean, they 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 can, and and that's what we just saw in Janine, right? So they don't have technically official sovereignty over the West Bank, but you tell me who the sovereign is. You know, the sovereign is the person that says, I'm going into Janine now with a PA. You sit back to the side. I'm just going to go in and do whatever I want. And there's nothing that you can do. There's no redress. Like the, the all the, the victims of that violence, whether the, whether it was the people killed, the people injured, uh, the, the uh, infrastructure that was damaged, the, the damage to the uh, critical infrastructure, not just buildings, but like electricity grids and, 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 and so on. They're, they're not going to do anything about any of that. And nobody can take them to court. So so that, that gives them a, like kind of sovereignty that is, in fact, you know, as Edward Said many years ago said, is kind of like a very unique in in world history we don't see too many sovereigns that enjoy that kind of uh, brutal exclusive absolute form of sovereignty and I, and I would argue it's only settler colonial states that do that so they, they already practice that kind of sovereignty over the whole place because they can just like i said go into janine and and bring all of this uh, harm and destruction and and they pay no consequences um and 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 they're asserting their power uh, over uh, the palestinians and uh, over palestinian life and death and and as some uh, uh, Palestinian uh, analysts like Amjad Iraqi and Tariq Bakoni writing in Plus 972 magazine and in the New York Times for Tariq, what we saw in Janine is kind of uh, we're seeing what what Israel has been doing to the Gaza Strip being brought into the West Bank. I think that's a really critical point, and they hit it right. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's a very astute analysis that they they, they put forward as to uh, what Israel is doing in Janine. Um, uh, it's basically trying to say we can turn any town or camp or area in the West Bank that they, we wish into the Gaza Strip. We can mm -hmm. we can imprison you in it. It can be another open air prison. We can go in, kill you, you know, destroy you, harm you, 
and there's nothing you can do about it. And your job is to stop resisting us. That's that's what the whole thing is about as far as they're concerned, right? Like, so they, they do the exact same thing that they've been doing to the Gaza Strip for the last 15 or so years with the with the siege. Uh, uh, and now they're, they're, they're doing it to specific areas in the West Bank. And it goes again, it's part and parcel of the larger Israeli plan to fragment all the Palestinian lands, to fragment the Palestinian populations from each other, weaken them, and therefore weaken their resistance and their will to resist. But as we've seen in Janine, that can't be broken. That will to resist cannot be broken. The Palestinians have shown that that will has has ma maintained its intensity, its commitment for, for over 100 years, and we're continuing to stick to it. I mean, that, that's the steadfastness, uh, the, 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 the smooth of, of Palestinian resistance that has become a, a marvel for the whole world to, to really witness. And they, they have not been able to break that will despite all of the overwhelming violence that they unleash on the Palestinians, and, and they still haven't after this event. Brilliant. And, and this is, you know, Palestinians, it doesn't matter what activist space I sit in, whether it's with the West Papuans and the Sahrawis or, you know, Uyghurs, Rohingyas, you know, they all cite Palestinian resistance and Samud steadfastness as a inspiration to their own struggles against settler colonialism. But this is the thing that settler colonialists don't understand which is the unbreakability of Indigenous people and their connection to their own dirt. We spoke about the cantonization, bantunization of the Palestinian spaces into little mini Gazas and that Zionist desire to get as much Palestinian geography with as little Palestinian demography as possible and, and a great summation. But let, let's talk about Jenin. I mean, the reality is that Israel was able to go into there with complete impunity, no grief from Western mainstream media. We saw the interviews where, you know, thing Jinin's talked about as a hot nest of terrorism and a command and control center in, in Jinin. I mean, the Jinin camp is tiny and there's a reason there's a Jinin camp. Absolutely. I mean, so 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 let's start with that. There's a Janine refugee camp in Janine because these are the descendants of the refugees from 1948. So, so these are the Palestinians that were expelled from their homes and lands across historic Palestine in 1948 in the Nakba. And uh, they, they found themselves in various... So, so some were, were, were forced and expelled uh, out of Palestine altogether in places like Lebanon and Syria and elsewhere, in Jordan. Uh, and some were expelled into Palestinian areas, uh, areas that remained part of uh, um, uh, the Palestinian uh, homeland. And so these are the refugees that ended up uh, in, in Palestinian territories. But just because they're on Palestinian territories, it's not really their home. Their home is in other parts of Palestine. Uh, and so they've remained as refugees living in a refugee camp that was built, I believe, in 1953. It could be 1952 or 54, sorry, but, but I believe it was 1953. So, so these are the descendants of those refugees. And they still consider themselves refugees because they are. And they still yearn for the return to their actual homelands in other parts of historic Palestine. And they do have that right, uh, of course, to return to their, to their homes and lands, as recognized by the United Nations. You have the situation where uh, these refugees have been wanting to return to their lands for all of these years. And the, not only are they not getting closer to returning home, they're actually getting further away from that. The, the, the chances of them returning to their homelands seem to them, rightfully so, dimmer by the year, by the day. 
And they've tried and they've tried everything throughout all of that time. They've tried strikes, they've tried popular committees, they've tried advocacy, they've tried negotiations, they've tried all sorts of forms of unarmed resistance and armed resistance to 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 gain their rights, their right to return, their right to dignity, their right to life, their right to to freedom with no political solution in sight. What else are they going to do? There, you have you have all of these young people, especially in in the refugee camp, with nothing to lose, nothing to lose, and nobody seems to care about them in the international community. Israel can just do whatever it wants to them. The Palestinian Authority does not really represent their aspirations for return and liberation. They have nothing to lose. They have they have no uh, um, uh, horizon uh, uh, of hope uh, that they can look to. They've turned their armed resistance. Who who doesn't understand that? Uh, but to argue that that they've turned to armed resistance because this is a quote unquote wasp's nest or a hotbed of militants or uh, they have a control and command center, I'd encourage that BBC journalist to go to the refugee camp in, <laughs> uh, in Janine and find that command uh, control and command center. It's, it makes it sound like they have an army in there with a state of the art. Not even it doesn't even have to be state of the art, like a, a control and command center that can actually control people. Like, like it, it, we're talking about people who are socioeconomically so poor, they have very little uh, already. Uh, and, and, and that's why they, you know, nobody in the international media is asking the question as to why are they doing these things? Like, why did they turn armed resistance? They're just going, they're starting from the assumption, which is the Israeli state's propaganda, that these people have turned to armed resistance because they are inherently barbaric. They are inherently Islamist, quote unquote. Um, uh, uh, they are inherently violent. They are inherently anti-Semitic and all of the rest of that nonsense. But none of that actually explains the reality of what, they, what these uh, Palestinians are suffering and why it is that they are turning to the uh, forms of actions that they are turning into out of, I would say, desperation. To, to to gain and again to gain their their rightful uh, return their rightful liberties their their rightful uh, freedoms and and the international community you know apart from uh, of course some some people that have come to believe the the i would say stupid ideology that that the israeli state puts forward in their propaganda i think most people do see the israeli propaganda as propaganda i think they most of them understand that they are silly arguments that are actually hard to sell uh, uh, but but the issue is not so much that they need better knowledge or better education especially when you get up higher up in the on the ladder of of media you know editors and 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 people who run who run uh, media companies and governments uh, as well government officials that should know better about all these issues i don't think that they think that these propaganda talking points are actually factual um i think they're just they, they just think that they can work well enough to keep the status quo as it is because i i don't think that these western countries like canada like the uk like the us are and and you know the mainstream across western europe and australia is 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 all that interested in palestinian freedom and I think that they 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 believe that Palestinian freedom goes against their own imperial interests in the region and are therefore OK with what Israel is doing on some level. Now, they might think, you know, it depends on which where on the political spectrum a political party might might fall. Uh, those on more on the left or center might say, well, I don't 
I'm not too happy with how they're doing it so brazenly or the discourse that some of these extreme right wing uh, uh, ministers are using in Israel, like Biden, just lightly critiquing, quote unquote, <laughs> Ben Gvir and Smutris and all the rest. Uh, uh, so they might not be happy with how they're doing it, but I don't think they have a problem with what they're doing. And that, that's true across every settler colony. I mean, the, the reality is that Israel sits as a buttress against all of that racism. You know, whilst Israel can get away with it, not, nobody's looking here. Don't look inside our house as to what's happening uh, in, in Canada, in the US, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, in all of these settler colonies and what they're doing and have done and continue to perpetuate against their Indigenous people. The reality is that these kids have been deprived of a tomorrow. Yes. They've lived and they've seen, whether it's a, a father humiliated, a mother denied opportunity, a brother killed, you know, living in the refugee camp with a population density that it's just staggering, where 4,000 people get made refugees again so that Israel can, can conduct this raid again. All, all at no cost. And the, the silence and the complicity in, in the West, it's got to be heartbreaking for those kids. Yeah. And, and the message it sends to them is clear. And they hear that message. Let's be very clear. They they have heard that message from those elite circles in the West, especially, that, that their lives are not significant uh, and that their aspirations for freedom and liberation are not viewed as uh, worthy of of the attention of these uh, uh, powerful countries. So so it's what what always amazes me is how much the Palestinians in Palestine in those refugee camps understand and hear that message. Yet they continuously reach out. They continuously go. At some point, they they might be depressed by thinking that so much. Uh, or by having that thought, you know, go through their head over and over again that nobody cares and nobody thinks that you're a human being and therefore not worthy of, of freedom and liberation. But they still wake up the next day and then they go, I still want to I'm going to tell my story. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still I still want it shared with those Western audiences. And they still believe, even though those Western countries continuously tell them you're not human, they're still believing in the humanity of those people in the Western countries. Yeah. And that's quite something, right? And because they, they think eventually they're going to, they must see that what they're doing here and what they're playing a part in doing, and not just being complicit, but also playing a part in doing is inhuman. They must see that. Those, like, there's a refusal basically on the part of Palestinians to believe that people in the West are that inhumane. <laughs> it's, it's quite astonishing and it really sheds a different light on this whole notion of the dehumanization of the backward Arab and the backward Palestinian. And this is true of all settler colonies and all colonized people, by the way. And I mean, we still do, uh, even, even though we might be, you know, in these settler colonies now, like in Canada or, or in Australia, and, and we come up against those racist politicians all the time. Um, uh, we still believe in going back <laughs> and trying to convince people here to put pressure on their politicians. We still do the work here because we we do ultimately believe that we, I mean, th that people can be moved by reality, by truth, uh, and by the call for justice. Uh, uh, so, so uh, you know, we'll we'll never stop doing that work. Um, uh, uh, but but you're right. I mean, it's. I also don't want to downplay the part of how disheartening it is and how, you know, it can be very devastating to people to just be continuously ignored where your death goes unnoticed uh, by the international community. And then you also hear that international community congratulating itself for being the beacon of enlightenment and the beacon of civilization 
and the beacon of progress and all the rest of that nonsense. And, and you're just like, but but I know who you actually are because I know what you do. Stop saying that about yourself and actually maybe try to change how you act in order to live up to those ideals you profess to follow. And and yeah, we, we keep pushing. We keep pushing. Speaking to that, you know, we saw the execution of Shirin Abu Akla. We had Iyad al-Halak, an uh, autistic Palestinian boy, executed, quivering behind a rubbish bin. We saw that 16-year-old just standing in Jenin only last week, shot in the head by a sniper, just standing there innocently. With all that violence, Palestinians remain steadfast and in absolute true humanity, as you encapsulated them, Hanad. You know, dreaming about tomorrow, they wake up dreaming about tomorrow, about a better tomorrow. That is the the purest sense of humanity, deprived, despised, occupied, oppressed. Every single day, the West is asking for a return to calm, as if occupation isn't 365, 24-7 violence. We, we won't be defeated, Mohammed, you know that. In Jerusalem, we had another expulsion. Sub Laban family were expelled. The Israeli courts, you know, they evicted these Palestinians because it's just a real estate dispute. The reality that the Sub Labans can't go back to their home, can't use the same court that expelled them to get justice for their home that is currently occupied by a Jewish Israeli that may have immigrated from Lithuania or Ukraine or wherever it might be, more apartheid. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And more settler colonialism. That's what settler colonialism is. It's expulsion of the native and the replacement with settlers from elsewhere. That's the definition, basic definition of settler colonialism. And within settler colonialism, you have these apartheid laws that enable it. So apartheid laws means certain laws apply this way to that group because of their religion, race, or ethnicity. And then different laws apply to that other group because of their religion, race, and ethnicity, and so forth. So clearly, this is another, you know, horrific uh, violence uh, that, that we witness. I mean, it's just heartbreaking to see those people that literally lost their home in the morning, couldn't go and get their medication and their 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 belongings they, they were still in the apartment when the Israeli Jewish settlers walked into it and took it and put Israeli flags on top of it and started dancing and teasing the Palestinians that were just kicked out of this, their homes that morning. I mean, this is this is brutality. You know, this is a pure, uh, uninhibited brutality um, that is that is dancing to celebrate its brut brutality. And meanwhile, the, 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 if you look at the, 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 the headlines in the Canadian media, the, in the mainstream outlets in Canadian media or whatever, or UK and all of the rest of it, it's, you know, Palestinian family evicted. And then most of the writing is, well, one side says this, one side says that. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it's like, well, why don't you do your job and find out what's going on and then call the lies for what they are on the one side, um, uh, on the Israeli side. But yeah, obviously, um, the, the the Zionists are, are advancing the, the propaganda that, well, this is a, a Jewish uh, uh, Israeli home. Well, it wouldn't have been Israeli, a Jewish home. Um, that was uh, inhabited by Jews prior to uh, 48, and they were expelled from it by the Jordanians, and um, uh, and therefore they have the right to return to it. And uh, I, I mean, if those if those Zionists want to play the game of return, let's let's go. Okay, fine, we'll give you that house, and yeah, give that family their house back. But obviously, they leave that part out. We should just e extend on that a little bit, Mohammed, because the reality is we we absolutely absolutely support. Every Jew being able to go home, wherever you home. Yeah. If you were, uh, quote unquote, expelled from Iraq, although now we know, we've known forever the Palestinians, but, you know, Avi Schleim's just released another book detailing, in fact, how the Zionist forces 
created the murderous campaign in Iraq to force the Jews of Iraq to leave land that they'd been on for two and a half to 3,000 years to go to the racist settler colonial state that we fully support, fully support. Repatriation, reparations, return, everything that is human because we are human. We won't afford you the opportunity to deny us the same right, the reciprocity. Now, the sublovens should have been able to apply to the same court and say, we've been expelled from Haifarak, uh, uh, West Jerusalem, perhaps. We'd like to use the same laws. Every Palestinian refugee has got the deeds, the keys to their homes. Let's use the same court equally. But it's not afforded to us because we celebrate God on a different day. Yeah, it's exactly it. I mean, in fact, the opposite is the case. Israel created all sorts of laws immediately after 1948 that are still in place to prevent the right of return of Palestinians. And the official, you know, quote unquote, legal uh, annexation of Palestinian lands and homes. And now they belong to the Israeli state. Right. Like, And, and they have no intention on going back on that or doing any kind of um, uh, uh, repatriation or, or, or reparations uh, or anything of the sort. Uh, and th that is the definition of apartheid and, and why all of the Zionist arguments are always, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical gymnastics that they have to play with their propaganda because they can't talk in a straight way because they are divorced from the truth. They are divorced from reality. So they have to play all these games um, uh, with their rhetoric in order to make it all fit. And they have to emit all sorts of uh, uh, truths and, and facts uh, in order to, to drive forward their propaganda. But um, uh, we know that 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 so, so, you know, we know that these talking points are not genuine talking points. We know that they are just simply intended to cement and uh, uh, cement the expulsion of the Palestinians and expand it. And, and we know that, you know, this this one house is not one case. It's one of many. It, it's not the first. It won't be the last. They're going to move on. They are already, you know, moving on to the next one. They're already working on other ones. And they're, and they're trying to basically take the land house by house, neighborhood by neighborhood, inch by inch, hilltop by hilltop. They tell us this. Well, I'm not inventing this. I read this. I know this because I've read and, and, and studied what they have said and done. So, you know, that's, to go back to my first point, that's, that's their plan. They want the whole territory and they don't want us there. They want us to stop resisting and leave. That's their that's that's their vision of quote unquote peace. When they say we want peace, this is what they mean. They want us all to stop resisting, accept that we are second class citizens for the small minority of us that remain, and for the rest to be expelled um, or be killed. Like that, that's how they understand peace. Um, uh, I mean, this is crazy. And I think, again, most people do understand that it is a brutal system of settler colonial and uh, uh, oppression and conquest and, and that it practices apartheid in, in all sorts of ways. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, it, it, it's, you know, these violences of expulsion, they sometimes hit us as hard as, as scenes of someone getting shot in the head. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to... Um, um, you know, downplay that you know assassination, no question, because each of us, that each of us, grew up with stories from our fathers, our mothers, our grandmothers, our grandfathers of what Nakba was like, but they were stories that were translated to us, and they became you know photo real, uh, you know eighteen nineties type video in our minds. But when we see an expulsion and the dancing and the 
family grabbing just a plant because the plant was uh, bought as a gift for uh, a son's birth. And the plant is 17 years old. And I'm taking this tree with me because when I come back, I'm going to bring back this tree. Um, denied the right to get their clothing and their medicine and so forth. That we see Nakba 1948, but in 4K digital TV that 75 years later, the world sits by and says, we can sit, we can allow and we accept a Jewish theocracy, uh, a Jewish supremacist, racist, supremacist state is okay. Uh, and, and that relives all the pain and the trauma comes back to us in the first person. Uh, and that's, that's why it is as traumatic as watching a 16-year-old extinguished at the end of a, a sniper's trigger. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 it is what Palestinians call the ongoing Nakba. You know, that's that's the term that we use because the Nakba hasn't stopped. It wasn't just one historical event that happened in '48. It's ongoing. The pain of that event is ongoing, and the event itself is ongoing because it's an it's a structure, not an event, as as, as scholars in settler colonial studies always remind us. Um, and, and so that's, and, and, and it's, it's happening as we speak. Um, and it will have these, these scenes will be replicated unless, um, the international community and we all stand up against it. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Mohammed. This is, we have been joined today by professor of sociology at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Canada, professor Mark Mohammed Ayash. Thanks so very much. Mohammed. Thank you. Always a pleasure to chat with you. A, a pleasure indeed. Habibi. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.